Welcome to Chasing Dramas. This is the podcast that discusses Chinese culture and history through historical Chinese dramas. We are your hosts, Karen and Kathy. Today we have a very special episode as we are going to discuss the recent Marvel superhero movie Shang Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. For this podcast episode, we will go in depth to discuss the Chinese and Chinese American culture and history we saw in the film, and give some color on it. We won't spend too much time on the Marvel-related Easter eggs because I'm sure there's plenty of content online that will do a much better job than we are. So we're going to focus on the Chinese culture portion of this film. We will do a movie recap and along the way explain the、uh, Chinese history and cultural nuances portrayed in the film, and we'll talk about the actors and actresses, historical settings. Costumes and even anachronisms. A lot of what we say in this podcast episode is based on our interpretation of Chinese history and culture. So feel free to reach out to us and discuss if you think you have additional thoughts at Chasing Dramas on Instagram or Twitter, or email us at Karen and Kathy at ChasingDramas dot com. Also, if you're new to this podcast, please check out our website www dot ChasingDramas dot com. To get a feel for what we normally discuss, this podcast episode will be in English with proper nouns and certain Chinese phrases spoken in Mandarin Chinese. Since there is quite a bit to cover, we will do the first forty-five minutes or so of the film in this podcast episode, and then wrap up with at least one more episode. So stay tuned. This film first premiered in September of 2021 and is part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. A little deviation from our normal course of the podcast, but we had some time over the holidays to put together this episode, so here we are. Now,、uh, in addition to being a huge Chinese historical drama fan,、uh, we are also pretty big MCU fans, having seen pretty much all of their available content. Meaning movies and even Disney Plus shows, but I'm not gonna lie. When I first saw the trailer for Shang Chi, I was a little hesitant. So many Western movies about Chinese history left me, <laughs> let's just say, rather disappointed. Case in point, Disney's Mulan, which we skewered in two podcast episodes. So feel free to listen to those for our thoughts. But the theater-going experience for Shang Chi left me almost in tears for how well they portrayed Chinese culture and history through this Marvel lens. I thought it was a highly entertaining film, and overall, I was extremely impressed with how they portrayed Chinese and Chinese American history and culture. And that is where we will start off for our episode. That is to say, there is going to be massive spoilers ahead for this film. So if you don't want this film spoiled, Please turn back, go watch it. It's available on Disney Plus and other means, I'm sure,、uh, before you listen to this podcast episode. Let's start off with the cast. It has a blend of newcomers and prominent actors throughout the Chinese-speaking entertainment industry, and it was certainly a pleasure to watch them make the jump over to Marvel. Our main character Sean or Shang Chi is portrayed by Simu Liu or Simu Liu or Liu Simu. We're gonna shift a little bit between proper Mandarin、uh, of certain phrases and how they are, I guess, anglicized or Romanized for English. 
Simu Liu was born in Harbin, China, and immigrated to Canada when he was young. He had roles in TV shows such as Kim's Convenience, but this movie is his breakout role. The legendary Tony Leung portrays Wen Wu, the father of Shang-Chi, and the main antagonist of this film. I was very impressed to see Tony Leung's name attached to this project, and I cannot stress how big of a name Tony Leung is to the Asian entertainment industry, whether that is China, um, Hong Kong, or Taiwan. He is and has been the A-list celebrity spanning over decades. Think Tom Hanks or Brad Pitt in the U.S. Everyone knows who he is. He is that popular. He started acting in the 1980s, and his career has continued to skyrocket throughout the decades. I personally grew up watching many of his films, and I highly recommend those of you who are unfamiliar with his work to take a look at his filmography. He has worked with many of the most famous directors hailing from China, Hong Kong, and Taiwan, including Wong Kai-wei, Zhang Yimou, and Ang Lee. I recommend watching In the Mood for Love, Infernal Affairs, Hero, Red Cliff, and The Grand Master. Infernal Affairs is the movie that The Departed is based off of, starring Leonardo DiCaprio and Matt Damon, if I must say. The original, or Infernal Affairs, is much better than The Departed. If you enjoyed The Departed, please watch Infernal Affairs. Um, it is just an all-around great movie. What I do like about Tony um, Leung is that he's rather picky about his projects, and I don't think he has too many duds, which is not the same for many of his contemporaries. Just pick something from his filmography and you'll more likely than not enjoy it. And he, for me, is the standout actor in this movie. Next, we have Aquafina as Katie, Shang-Chi's best friend. She's an American comedian, rapper, writer, and actress, an all-around powerhouse. She stars in the comedy series Aquafina is Nora from Queens and has been in several high-profile Hollywood movies such as Ocean's 8, Crazy Rich Asians, and The Farewell, which she won a Golden Globe for for her role as Billy in that movie. Zhang Mar plays Xu Xialing, who is Shang-Chi's younger sister. This is Zhang's first film role, uh, which I was surprised to find out. She's from Nanjing, China, but studied in the UK and Russia. I think she does a pretty decent job here in the movie. Next, we have Fala Chen, or Chen Fala, who plays Ying Li, the wife of Wen Wu and mother to Shang-Chi and Xu Xialing. I personally was surprised to find out that Fala actually hails from Chengdu, China, because I've mainly seen her in TVB dramas over the years, which is the predominant network in Hong Kong. Her Cantonese is very good, although she speaks Mandarin in this movie. She's been in dramas such as Triumph in the Skies 2, Steps, and Heart of Greed. Moving on, we also have the formidable Michelle Yeoh as Ying Nan, the sister to Ying Li and aunt to Shang-Chi and Xia Ling. 
Michelle Yeoh is a Malaysian actress who rose to fame in Hong Kong action films in the 1990s, but she has had her fair share of international blockbusters, including Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, the Bond film Tomorrow Never Dies, and more recently, Crazy Rich Agents alongside Alpafina. She also is on the TV show Star Trek Discovery. Michelle Yeoh has been also a household uh, name in the Chinese, Hong Kong, and Taiwan entertainment industry for the past four decades. Over her career, she has done many action films and does many of her own stunts. I highly recommend watching Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon to see her in all of her glory. We also have some fun appearances from Ben Kingsley as Trevor Slattery as a continuation of his Fallout and portrayal of the Mandarin all the way back in Iron Man 3 of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. There's Benedict Wong as Wong from the Doctor Strange movies. And there's also some other Asian cast highlights that we'll spotlight throughout our discussion. Overall, I'm happy and very pleased that Marvel was able to assemble the cast that they did because it actually felt inclusive. Now that we geeked out about the cast, let's move on to the movie itself. All right, starting off with the introduction, the film opens to a monologue of the history of the Ten Rings and, more interestingly for me at least, in Mandarin. I cannot express how surprised I was to hear that the Mandarin being spoken was actually proper Chinese Mandarin and how, I guess, ubiquitous it was used throughout the film. Oftentimes, people speak Mandarin in films, but you can tell immediately that they don't actually know how to speak Mandarin, um, so it's likely a cringe for someone who does speak Mandarin to hear it. And a lot of times I'm like, are they even speaking Mandarin? Well, so for the movie to start out like I, it did, I was quite touched. I read a headline that uh, this was a risk Kevin Feige, executive producer of these Marvel films, had to take, and I'm very glad he kept this in. It paid off at least for me. We are immediately shown a flag of the Ten Rings and then the backstory of the organization. We will again reiterate that there's probably plenty of Marvel lore in this organization, but we are going to analyze this from a Chinese history perspective. There are some present-day political challenges underneath some of these representations, which we are also not going to talk about. In any case, let's begin. On the flag are the words Quan. Li, Zhuang, Wei, Jie, Shi, Hong, Xiong, Qiang, and Wei. All of the above words pretty much mean the same thing, power and strength. And wow, there are plenty of words I'm realizing now in Chinese that mean more or less the same thing. We were trying to see how we should translate each word, but in the end, it kind of just means power and strength. So there you have it. What I find interesting is that the style of the words uh, were written in traditional Chinese, not simplified Chinese as we see today. And the specific calligraphy style is what I would say is a mix of zhuan shu and li shu, which are older styles of Chinese calligraphy writing dating back over 2,000 years versus what has been more popular in the last millennia, which would be the kai shu. But from looking at the written language, 
someone from Marvel may need to explain why the characters look the way they do, because it certainly looks like a Westerner tried to write these characters. Chinese historians who are familiar with the Zhuan Shu or Li Shu would not write the words in this way. I would even say that actually, if you look at the wiki page for the film, there are better versions and you'll see the characters as more structured in those depictions of the Ten Rings logo than what you see in the film here. Now, in between the words uh, or the symbols of the Ten Rings are the weapons Hu Togo or tiger-headed hooks. This is an anachronism as Baidu tells us these hooks were first developed in the Ming Dynasty, which ruled from the 14th century to the mid-17th century in China, and these hooks were developed by a guy named Wu Dianzheng, and so this is not time immemorial as the legend of the Ten Rings would have us believe. These hooks are also not as popular weapons by um, Chinese martial artists today and even in the past, so I think it's interesting that Marvel went with this weapon for the Ten Rings. Next, we are introduced to the main leader, the man who obtained the Ten Rings, Xu Wenwu, a.k.a. Tony Liang. Wenwu is an interesting name because it literally means scholar and fighting. Wen means scholar and Wu means fighting. We talk about this constantly in our current drama, The Story of Minglan, that at court, people are generally either Wen, the scholar, or Wu, the fighter. Someone is highly skilled to be both, which is actually the main character, or main male character of the drama, um, Gu Tingye. This is an interesting Marvel choice when creating this character, because it's not a particularly artsy Chinese name. And it's a little ironic, because for most of the film, we see way more of the Wu, which is the fighter, and not the Wen. This... Character Wen Wu is a new character created for the movie to remove many of the racist undertones of the original Mandarin and Fu Manchu. Well, after lots of pillaging and killing, Wen Wu and his organization of the Legend of the Ten Rings in the 20th century sets out to find another powerful treasure, namely Ta Luo, and ends up in a mystical bamboo forest. There he meets Ying Li, played by Chen Fala. The pair square off against each other and he's actually subdued with her superior martial arts skills. A couple of things. Though we do not know exactly the type of martial arts she practices, it certainly has many elements of Tai Chi or Tai Chi, especially with some of the moves employing a Jie Li Da Li tactic, which simply means leveraging another strength to fight as your own strength. Western audiences are probably not as familiar or perhaps find it odd for the characters to be flying around while fighting and also to be able to use their hands to deploy force field-like fights. This comes straight from the wuxia genre, where heroes are often flying around in such fights. It's very commonplace in Chinese movies and dramas, with the actors and actresses using wires to help them fly. Of course, those are edited out. Pretty much every historical Chinese drama that has any ounce of fighting will use wires to allow people to fly. As for the force fields, 
That's the zhen qi or qi gong that people have practiced. It's not real, but certainly a part of Chinese wuxia or martial arts lore. So many books talk about zhen qi as an important skill to learn. The most powerful fighters, according to these stories, these movies, and these um, books, have strong qi. I also haven't talked about the costumes yet, but I think they're a great artistic choice. Wen Wu, in particular, is wearing a modernized version of clothing in the Han style. It's the style that has been passed down for thousands of years and changed after the Manchus overthrew the Ming Dynasty and established the Qing Dynasty, which ruled China from 1644 all the way to 1912. The key difference is the collar. Historical Han Chinese clothing were more like wraps, whereas the Manchu had the Mandarin collars. After all this backstory, we are now in present day, and we see a grown-up Shang-Chi, or as he's currently known as Sean, played by Simu Liu in San Francisco. There are a lot of Chinese immigrants in SF, so it makes a lot of sense he would end up there. But, you know, if it was set anywhere else, it'd also probably say the same thing. Anyways, he and his friend Katie, aka Aquafina, are now valets at a hotel. The film spends the next few scenes showing us how close these two are. And one of my favorite scenes is when they end up uh, or end the night going to karaoke and are seeing a whole new world from Aladdin, which is literally me and my friends when we go to karaoke. So I died laughing. I felt personally seen. The next day, he visits Katie's family who lives in Chinatown. And this whole interaction also reminded me of my family as a Chinese immigrant family. So it hits close to home. What do I mean? When he rings the doorbell, there's a pointed shot of him taking his shoes off outside before going into the apartment, which is extremely traditionally Chinese. I would get yelled at if I wore shoes inside my parents' house. You always put your shoes outside and there's inside slippers you wear. So you see there are a lot, it's a shoe rack and there are different shoes that you wear inside versus outside. When Sean takes a seat at the table where Katie's grandmother and brother are already sitting, Katie's grandmother tells him to move because that's grandpa's seat. This is something that can be easily missed as her just being senile, but in Chinese culture, where one sits at the dining table is quite important. When you go to meals, the most important people in the party sit at the head of the table, which is considered shangzuo. At home, family members also do have designated spots for each meal. So, for example, I'm not allowed to sit where my grandparents are, who are both alive, um, and this is even when they're not at the table sitting. Shout out to the actress for Katie's grandmother. She is Zhou Caiqin, a Chinese actress, singer, and director who has also had an illustrious career. She's perhaps most well-known as Auntie Lindo from the Joy Luck Club, but she's also been seen over the years on Grey's Anatomy and Memoirs of a Geisha. Katie's mom is ladling zhou or kanju for Sean, which is another Chinese staple breakfast food for Chinese folks. Kanji or zhou has many different styles. So you can have a certain type of kanji when you're in northern China versus when you're in southern China. When Katie's mom later on says that uh, moving on after the death of grandpa is an American idea, and when Katie comes out and says, 
your American mom, I again almost died. I literally just told my mom that exact line the other day when we were having a conversation. And of course, when a grandma asks when Sean and Katie are going to get married, personal flashbacks to all of my uh, relentless relatives, blood related or not, wondering when I'll get married. Before we move on, let's talk about Qingmingjie. That's the festival the grandma tells Sean about. And she's preparing all of her deceased husband's favorite things to give to him on this holiday. We've talked about Qingmingjie extensively in our regular podcast series, but for those that are unfamiliar, this is what it is. Qingmingjie is known as the Tomb Sweeping Day and is a traditional festival in which the family members sweep the tombs of their ancestors, make offerings, and pray to their ancestors. It's also a day for people to be closer to nature and go on hikes, or ta qing. The festival has been observed for over 2,500 years, with some variations, of course. Royalty and common people would all spend this time to honor their ancestors. This festival occurs during the spring, around April 5th, but it can change based on the lunar solar calendar. And this festival is practiced, of course, to this day in uh, many parts of East Asia. Well, as the pair of Katie and Sean head off to work on a bus, the first major fight scene happens where thugs are trying to take Sean's necklace. Sean, it turns out, is a certified badass and fights off the attackers. And you can tell the fighting style is different than, say, Black Widow's fighting style. From what I've read, it takes elements of Yongchun, which is the fighting style that Bruce Lee trained in, again, we're uh, speaking in Mandarin right now. I thoroughly appreciate that Simu Lu trained and practiced this so that he's not actually faking the fight. Um, and I've read he practiced and trained in Tai Chi, Jiu Jitsu to prepare for the movie. And it really shows here. After the harrowing escape where Sean finds out that his necklace has been taken, he and Katie return back to his apartment where he explains that the men were probably sent by his father. They need to head to Macau to try to find his younger sister and protect her. Before we move on, I love that there is a Kung Fu Hustle poster over Sean's bed. Kung Fu Hustle is one of the classic Hong Kong movies starring Stephen Chow that came out in 2004. And there's actually a couple of characters or actors from that movie that make it over here into uh, this Marvel movie. And I'll point that out um, in the next episode. We then get a montage of young Shang-Chi training under his father after his mother died. The setting is rather traditional Chinese and the training style as well. We see groups of people training with various weapons, including bare hand, staffs, rope darts, etc. A pair of men are practicing their horse dance while holding heavy logs. This is another rather traditional basic martial arts technique. Pretty much the foundation of Kung Fu starts with a good horse dance, a.k.a. Ma Bu. I feel like the live streaming dude uh, who was like, oh, I took martial arts when I was younger, so I'll try to explain what's going on. Yes, I personally did take martial arts when I was younger, so I will also try to explain what's going on. The wooden pole where Shang-Chi trains reminds me of the scene um, from the new Karate Kid film with Jackie Chan. It's more or less the same principle. Practice the same steps over and over again so it becomes second nature. It's also a staple wooden dummy for Yongchun, 
a form of martial arts, again, as I said, popularized by Bruce Lee and his teacher, It Man. Please go over to watch It Man with Donnie Yen or The Grandmaster with Tony Leung on more of this style of wushu or martial arts. And then Sean explains to Katie, who clearly doesn't speak Mandarin that well, how to say his name while they're on the plane to Macau. I thought this was a very well done scene because I guess Shang-Chi is perhaps a challenging name to speak um, if you're not Chinese, but it is certainly not Shang-Chi. <laughs> well, well, okay. So phonetically, how it is spelled um, in Pinyin, which is the Mandarin way, like Romanized way, is S-H-A-N-G-Q-I. So that's how um, people would say Shang-Chi. But of course, when you see um, Shang-Chi, was this C-H-I, it kind of spells differently. So when, I guess, Americans or English speakers say it, it would be Shang-Chi, uh, which is more or less how Katie is saying it. But in Mandarin, it's Shang-Chi. The accents are a bit different. Again, I appreciated that the scene was in the film. The pair then travel off to Macau. For those of you who haven't been, Macau is like the Vegas of the East. Lots of casinos are located there. And I don't know how many of you know, but Macau was actually a Portuguese colony up until the late 1990s. So only until very recently. You can get really yummy Portuguese egg tarts there. And there's lots of architecture built under Portuguese rule that still exists. But the brightest displays there are now, as I mentioned, the casinos. And because it's all about betting, it totally makes sense why, we'll see later, there is a, uh, a fighting ring for betting. This place is also, Macau is also a place that attracts a lot of international visitors. So it makes sense to me, at least, why they head to Macau. When Katie and Sean, or Shang-Chi, reach a building that's heavily under construction and head up the elevator... They are greeted by a guy named John John who tries to speak to Katie in Chinese. But when she says her Chinese sucks, he says he speaks ABC. That means American-born Chinese. A little note for people who don't get it. And I guess the connotation is that a lot of American-born Chinese people do not speak Mandarin or Chinese well. I guess any dialect of Chinese. Sean gets dragged into the main fight stage after we see Wong from Doctor Strange Properties in the uh, Marvel Universe fight the Abomination, which helps remind us that we are actually firmly in the Marvel Universe. And after their fight, Sean, or Shang-Chi, is forced on stage to fight without his shirt on. And let's just say, dang, Simu Liu, look at that form. Before he really registers what's going on, his opponent appears, and it's none other than his younger sister, Xu Xiaoling, who is also a certified badass and fights just as well, if not better, than her brother. Well, we don't know for sure because he is holding back a bit, and she totally just whoops his butt. Xiaoling's name translates to Summer Spirit. The fight ends with Xiaoling defeating her brother, winning Katie quite a nice sum of money, it seems like. <laughs> That was so funny. <laughs> Soon after, they head into the office, which is revealed that the entire Fight Club operation is hers. Quite impressive, I would say. 
Shang-Chi tells his sister that their father is after them, and he's here because of a postcard she sent. When Xiaoling looks puzzled and says she didn't send a postcard, we find out that it was a trap. Fighters appear at the behest of their father in order to take Xiaoling's necklace as well. Another impressive fight sequence ensues, this time outside on the construction of the building. While already a great fight scene, this to me is elevated by the fact that the exterior scaffolding is all made up of bamboo. In contrast to American construction where scaffolding is created using metal or steel rods, scaffolding in East Asia is largely held together by bamboo. It was something I noticed as starkly different in my first visits to China, Hong Kong, Taiwan, and Macau as a child because it was so different to what I'm used to. To use this bamboo scaffolding as a set piece is another important display of the mix of the west with the skyscraper towers and the east of the bamboo. So I like this fight a lot, or this sequence. And you'll see quite a few fights featuring bamboo scaffolding in um, Hong Kong movies or a couple of the Jackie Chan movies. There's a great one in uh, Rush Hour 2, so you guys can take a look at that film as well. The last thing I want to talk about in this episode before we wrap up is the character of the Death Dealer, or in Chinese, Li Qinglin. He is the ruthless fighter that also trained Shang-Chi as a child. His mask is one that is inspired by masks worn in Chinese opera. There isn't a singular source for when these masks first originated, but it is generally accepted to have over a millennia of history. The art itself is called lianpu, and in certain instances are painted on the Chinese opera singer's face itself, and in other instances are painted on masks that the singer wears. They are to automatically give the viewer a sense of who the portrayed person's personality is, particularly based on the color of the paint or mask. For example, the color white is often associated with someone who is manipulative, suspicious, and untrustworthy. It has a more derogatory meaning for someone to have a white face on their mask. And guess what? The Death Dealer has a white mask. A red mask generally signifies someone who is loyal and just, and a black mask represents someone who is unwavering, stern, but powerful. Now, the Death Dealer's mask is wholly unique to the uh, movie itself, but hopefully Marvel and Disney took um, some learnings from the history of the masks because we thought it, you know, fit pretty well in the, the general culture of opera, Chinese opera masks. And I'm not going to lie, this character, upon first seeing it, reminded me a little bit of the Monkey King or Sun Wukong from The Journey to the West or C.O.T. Obviously, that might just be me um, with uh, my limited knowledge of Peking opera or Chinese opera in general. But I thought the fact that he had a, um, a staff a lot of the times um, and his, some of his movements just reminded me a lot of the all-powerful Monkey King. Okay, we will leave the podcast episode there. In the next episode, we will see more of Tony Leung as Wen Wu and learn about his plans. 
Like I said earlier, if you have any comments or questions on what we discussed today, please reach out and let us know and we'd be happy to chat. Or if you just want to geek out about this film, Chinese culture in general, or other Chinese historical dramas, also reach out to us because we like geeking out about that stuff all day long. Thank you all so much for listening and we will catch you in the next episode.